Turn, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you heard, a uh, Marine saved a small boy from a uh, lion in the National Zoo. The boy had fallen in, and the Marine jumped in, punched the lion in the face, and grabbed the boy and jumped out. The next day, the Washington Post reported that a Marine had assaulted an immigrant, punched him in the face, and taken his lunch. (laughs) Sorry, it's a joke. (laughs) I told that to my kids, and my daughter goes, yeah, but did the Marine really do it? I said, no. That was the same daughter that I had to spend an hour trying to explain daylight savings time to her. (laughs) The fact that, no, we don't lose an hour of sleep every night for the summer, just once. (laughs) These are the conversations I have around my house. Oh, well. We are working our way through chapter 10, verse by verse, and... uh, I'm really enjoying it. I don't know about you. Um, As I've repeatedly said, there's no way in the world I can do the rest of Proverbs going verse by verse, or we would be here for a very long time. So we're going to continue verse by verse, and at some point, we're going to jump to chapter 30, and we're going to finish. But not yet. I'm having too much fun as it is. Last week, we ended up on verse 12 which states, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. The fact that the foolish individual, by their words, are always trying to cause problems. They're trying to stir up an issue. Did you hear what they said about you? Are you going to let them do that? Do you know what? And we see this. I see it all the time. I see it in the work environment where you have individuals who just kind of hop around going, did you hear what they, you know, they're trying to stir up issues. But love covers up, and it says, all wrongs. And we had a long discussion about that last week. That that does not mean that we pretend that the wrong did not occur. Although for a lot of smaller things, that may be the right answer. What it means is that we want what is best for the other other person, and if punishment, discipline is what is necessary, then we do that. But we're doing it because of a loving motive, not because we're just trying to stir up problems. So we pick up today in verse 11, I mean in verse 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool invites ruin. Once again, we continue this discussion of the wise and the foolish individual. The wise person speaks, the wise person speaks wisdom, knowledge, and life. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. What does it mean to be discerning? Come on, these are the easy questions. To distinguish good and bad. 
We mentioned a couple of weeks ago the verse from Hebrews where it says, The mature are those who by constant practice have learned to distinguish good from evil. To discern is to say that's right and that's wrong. Why don't we practice more discernment? Come on. We're lazy. We don't want to learn. We don't want to discern. We want to conform. I see at least two issues. One is we're too lazy to learn what is right and what is wrong. How do we learn what is right and what is wrong? By studying the scripture, by meditating on the word, by looking at life in light of the word and saying what works and what doesn't work. And by doing that, we learn to discern right from wrong. But the second issue is even more prevalent in our society today, and that is our reluctance to speak this once we have learned what is right and what is wrong. We live in a very relativistic age, and when I learn what is right and what is wrong, and if I voice that, somebody is immediately going to say, but that's just your opinion. Who are you to tell me what to do? Who are you to enforce your view on me? Whereas we are not enforcing our view, we're, we're stating God's position on a particular issue. That is what wisdom and discernment are. But we're reluctant to do that. But it says that wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. Wisdom is what allows us to practice discernment. Without wisdom, we are just guessing. We are just pretending to know what is right and wrong. Wisdom and discernment go hand in hand, or discernment is something else. Wisdom is on the mouth, the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. What does that mean? Well, if wisdom is guiding the discerning, showing them how they are to live their life, to choose that which is good and to stay away from that which is wicked or evil. The fool, those who lack judgment, basically are relying on physical discipline to keep them on the right path. It is the individual who's going to keep going down the wrong path until God... Or somebody whacks them up the side of the head with a two-by-four. They are not responding to learning. They are not responding to wisdom. They are, not they are only responding to the necessity of somebody stopping them. It is the child who's going to go down the wrong path until the parent physically stops them. It just so happens when we become adults, it isn't parents that physically stop them. It is law enforcement people. It is banks repossessing their stuff. It is bosses. I always remember 
when I graduated from high school, we had a party at somebody's house afterwards, and there was this girl sitting over in the corner, and she was really depressed. She was really depressed. And he said, what's wrong? And she said, now if we get in trouble, they can't send us to the principal's office. They'll just have to arrest us. (laughs) And this is what she was worried about. But the fool, that's all they're responding to. They are responding to somebody whacking them up the side of the head with a two-by-four. Now, obvious question. Is it better to learn through study of wisdom and study of God's principles? Or is it better to wait until you hit the brick wall? Well, obviously, we know the answer to that. But obviously, we live in a society We are individuals who sometimes take the rod because we refuse to listen to the wisdom. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. Storing up knowledge. What does that mean? Is it like me who collects more books than I could possibly read and stashes them on the shelf and then stashes them under the bed and then stashes them in the closet and then stash? Is that what it means to store up knowledge? No. What it means is that when I am learning, when I am learning the things of God, when I am studying the book of Proverbs, I'll come upon some Proverbs that I'll go, I'm just not sure that applies to me right now. I'm not sure that that's where I am right now. But you know, it's God's word. I'm going to study it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to take that and I'm going to place it in my heart. And then 10 years from now, I am in a situation and God says, you know that piece of knowledge that you have stored up? This is where that applies. And you go, oh. That makes sense. The wise man is storing up knowledge because they believe that in the future they're going to need it. God has given us the wisdom that we need for life in this world. The problem is if you wait until you've hit the disaster it may be too late to apply the wisdom that would have kept you from getting into the disaster in the first place. I know young people who are smart. And if they have a particular need for a particular piece of information, they will go learn that particular piece of information. But if you tell them you need to study a course of material because Ten years from now, you're going to need it. The blinders come on. It's like, why bother? If I can't use it right now, they are not storing up knowledge. It's like when you're teaching a youngster, a child, math. They go, why would I ever need to know this? Well, trust me. There will be a time in your life when you will need to understand this material. That's why we need to study the scripture. Because there will come a time in our life 
when we will need to know this material. Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool invites ruin. There's actually a pattern to a lot of these verses. In fact, I counted about eight or nine verses between here and the end of the chapter dealing with the mouth, what we're saying. We saw it in verse 13. Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning. They speak wisdom. How can they speak wisdom? Because they have wisdom stored up inside of them. Here we have the fool. The mouth of the fool invites ruin. What ruin comes out of the mouth of the fool? Come on. Hmm? Loss of reputation. Shows what's in your heart. What's the, what's the old joke about it's better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and have them prove it? Go ahead. Bad decisions. Haughtiness. And in fact, throughout the book of Proverbs, we see the idea of the mocker. The mocker who looks at wisdom and says, no, I don't want that. Repeatedly, throughout the book of Proverbs, throughout the scripture, we're going to see this idea that what comes out of the lips is a reflection of what is in the heart. I may be able to fool you for a little while. I can memorize my script. Oh, here's my Sunday morning. I'm a church person script. I'll talk this way. I can do that for a while. But ultimately, what comes out of my mouth will reflect the condition of my heart, be it wisdom, speaking discernment, or the fool who will utter things that will lead to ruin. Having not stored up knowledge, having not followed the path of wisdom, having not done those things, my heart is not in a position to say intelligent, wise, discerning things. So what's left? Foolishness in all of its forms, whether it's haughty, mocking, whether it's, as we saw in verse 12, stirring up dissension, whatever it is, that's what comes out. Now, there's a flip side of this, which is, if this is the person speaking, when we, the listener, hear them, we need the discernment to say, you know, that individual really is a fool. Now, we may not tell them that. It's not polite to tell them that. But we need to practice discernment and say, are the people that I'm listening to speaking wisdom or are they speaking the foolishness of this world? Wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool invites ruin. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. That's an interesting verse. Anybody have a clue what it means? Okay, we're going to the next one. 
The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. What does a fortified city provide for you? Protection. Protection from calamity. Now, what this verse is telling us is that having resources is actually a good thing. It really is. It can provide protection for a lot of the calamities of life. What this verse is not telling us is that riches in and of themselves are the source of our salvation. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we see that the wise follow the path of wisdom and God provides with them with riches. Now, those riches can be material riches. They can be spiritual riches, relational riches. They can be a variety of different things, and that is good. In fact, we talked three weeks ago about the fact that for an agrarian society such as this would have been, to be rich meant that you had food on the table, a roof over your head, and something to pass on to your children. And that's about it. If you had that, you were rich. You had a family, you had relationships, you had food on the table, and you had a roof over your head. You were rich. It does not necessarily mean what we take the world word today to mean that I can ignore all those around me because I have so much money I don't have to give a flip about what's happening around me. That's not what it means. But the book of Proverbs also teaches us that the mere accumulation of wealth is not in and of itself a good thing. In fact, earlier in the chapter it says in verse 2, ill-gotten treasure are of no value. You can get wealth through illicit means and you will have the wealth. But ultimately it is of no value to it, to you. But riches righteously derived can provide you protection from the calamities of the world. There is a connection here between the righteous life, the riches that come from a righteous life, once again, be they monetary, spiritual, relational, those riches provide you protection in a lot of different situations. But poverty is the ruin of the poor. Now, this verse would be a lot easier if we really believed that all the rich people were righteous and all the poor people were unrighteous. Then this verse would be much easier to understand. I don't necessarily believe that. No, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> okay? But poverty that comes about because of a lack of wisdom, that comes about by... Well, in this chapter, it's the sluggard. There's about four verses in this chapter dealing with those who refuse to work when they ought to work. If that is the source of the poverty, then you're in trouble. It is going to bring ruin to your life. 
The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. What this is telling us is there's no, there's no virtue in being poor in and of itself. Throughout the Christian world, throughout history, there have been those who have argued that being poor was more virtuous than being rich. Because there's lots of verses warning about the rich, so therefore it must be better to be poor. Well, not necessarily. There's a wonderful verse in chapter 30, and we'll get to it when we do get to chapter 30, and we will do chapter 30, which basically says, Lord, don't let me be poor and don't let me be rich. Because if I'm rich, I'll act like I don't need God, and if I'm poor, I will steal and defame the name of God. What is this telling us? There are sins that are prevalent at both ends of the spectrum. Don't act like one of them is intrinsically righteous and the other is intrinsically wicked. They both have their problems. But poverty brought about by an unrighteous life will produce ruin in a person's life. As I said, it's an interesting verse. You read the commentaries on it and you get a wide variety of different interpretations of what this verse means. Now, there are people who are poor for a variety of different reasons. God is punishing the society in which they live. I mean, it's the old joke. It's not a joke. The old statement, you know, that Joshua and Caleb had to walk around in the desert for 40 years just like the people who had disobeyed God. Okay, when God is punishing a society, even the righteous within that society suffer because of it. That's life. Poverty can come from a variety of different things. But in the same way that riches can include material, spiritual, and relational, poverty can include physical, spiritual, and relational and you can be dirt poor, literally, and have the strongest relationships imaginable. You can be dirt poor and have the strongest spiritual relationships possible. And guess what? You're rich because of those, relational, those relationships that you have. We just get in trouble when we put on our blinders and think, oh, that person has no money, God's cursing them. That's wrong. We shouldn't think that. We equally put on our blinders when we look at somebody and say, oh, they have lots of money, God is blessing them. Just as wrong. We need to look at the individual and see what God is doing in their life and see if that monetary wealth is producing the good works that should accompany it or not. Watch out for the assumptions of judging people by the size of their bank account. We see this when Christ comments, you let people come to the front of your church and have the best seats because they're rich. Why do you do that? Because that's how we as human beings 
judge one another. But having said all of that, wealth does provide protection. It does provide opportunities that are missing if we are poor in any of those dimensions that we talked about. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We see this idea that you are going to earn some reward. You are either going to get the wages of righteousness, the walking down the path of righteousness, walking down the path of wisdom, and the wages of that are life. But the wages of the opposite, the income of the wicked, is nothing but punishment. We're going to see this over and over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. We sometimes have the mistaken belief that because we live in an age of grace, it does not matter what we do. And that's wrong. It does matter. If I'm living in the age of grace and acting like a fool, I will be punished like a fool. The grace of God pays the penalty for the sins that we do, the sins that we have done, and the sins that we will do. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Because it does matter how we live our lives every day. You wake up tomorrow and you make the decision, I'm going to live a life of wisdom today. Or, by default, you wake up and decide, I'm going to live the life of the fool. Now, nobody ever says, well, I don't think anybody ever says, I'm going to wake up and live the life of the fool. They do wake up and say, I'm going to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it today. And they might as well say, I'm going to live the life of the fool. We will suffer or we will benefit based on the choices that we make in this life today. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. We are saved by the grace of God. Don't leave here saying, thinking that I believe that anything you do can earn your salvation. Can't do it, isn't going to happen. You're not good enough. Sorry. If, if you had lived a perfect life from the day you were born to the day you died, then I would say, yes, you could get into heaven on your works. I hate to say this, you didn't do that. Okay? If you have any questions about this, Turn to your spouse and ask them. You didn't do it. There are those who want to ask the question, how, as a believer, as somebody who 
walked down the aisle in the Baptist church at age six or who responded to a Billy Graham. How, if, as a believer, how much sin can I get away with? And my observation is if you are asking that question, you should see that as a huge red flag asking, did I really do what I claim to have done by making that decision? Don't get me wrong. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us. But if you are living your life on the belief that because of grace, I want to see how much I can get away with, that should be a warning to you. Because a believer is asking the question, how close can I get to God? How can I reflect the life of Christ in my life day by day? They still sin. Don't get me wrong. How many times do I have to say this? Don't get me wrong. We still sin. But it is a whole different mentality. Do not think that you as a believer can actively um, follow the path of foolishness and not suffer consequences. It ain't going to happen. The wages of the righteous bring them life, but the income of the wicked brings them punishment. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Once again, we saw this with the idea of following Well, none of us are smart enough to not need somebody else to come alongside of us every once in a while and say, you're going the wrong way. And the wise person goes, oh, I'm going the wrong way. I need to turn around and go the right way. That's why we need people in our lives who are willing to walk up to us and say, you're going the wrong way. Don't do that. The wise individual heeds discipline. He is disciplined and he goes, oh, you're right, I'm going the wrong way. And he adjusts his path. But whoever ignores correction, not only are they messing up their own life, they are leading other people astray. We had a lesson, I don't know, four or five lessons ago, about the fact that we are all interconnected to some degree. If I start following, well, if I believe because of my pride that I'm not going to listen to the correction of anybody, okay? I'm not going to listen to the pastor's instruction. I'm not going to listen to anybody's instruction. I'm going to do it my way. And I start pursuing that path. Well, I've got a wife and I've got kids. And guess what? They're going with me. Does that mean that they are punished because I sin? No, but they are being led astray. They can still choose, but I am making their life difficult. To use the phrase that Christ used, I am laying a stumbling block in their path. It's like they're going through a dark hall, and I have intentionally put something in the path that they will trip over. I am leading others astray. If you are in a position of authority and you sin, your sin covers greater, has greater consequences. It just does. 
We may claim, no, it shouldn't have to, but it does. Our behavior not only wounds us, it can lead all of those around us astray. I decide that I'm going to abandon my wife and chase after the cute young thing. Okay? My life is messed up. My wife's life is messed up. My children's lives are messed up. But in addition to that, that guy that sits in the cubicle next to me at work is going, you know, he's got a cute young thing now. Life must be good. He doesn't know all that pain that I've caused. He doesn't know all the consequences. And all of a sudden he starts thinking, and by my actions I am leading other people astray. Don't think that you live on a desert island and your actions have no effect on all of those around you. They do. We can just sit here for an hour looking at the connections between your life and people you may not even know that you have an impact on. I mean, if nothing else, I am supposed to be imparting wisdom to those around me. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not fulfilling my obligation. I am supposed to be imparting wisdom to my children. And if I'm not doing that, I am leading them astray. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's the obligation that we have. He who, he, who, he who heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Ah, oh, we've got two negatives in this one. Conceal his hatred has lying lips. Shouldn't you conceal your hatred? I mean, you don't want to go around spewing hatred at people, right? What we have here is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is one of my words that I don't like because the modern world uses it in such a bizarre way. The modern world says you're a hypocrite if you teach something that you can't obtain. You know, if I go and I teach the Sermon on the Mount, which is a goal but I'm not there, then obviously I'm a hypocrite. No, we're sinners. That's not necessarily the same thing. When I lie to you and I tell you you ought to do something when I actively am not doing it, then I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. If I hate you, if I hate my coworker, if I hate my spouse, if I hate somebody, yet my lips are spewing out all kinds of wonderful, oh, why can't we just all get along? I'm lying to them. So, what is the, op what is, what is the solution? Well, just blast them with the hatred. No, that's not the solution either. But that is the solution that the world has adopted. Okay? I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm just going to tell you what I really think. You're a jerk. But you see... That's not an improvement. We're assuming those are the only two possibilities. We're assuming, as we have talked about several times while working through the book of Proverbs, we're assuming that this emotional response that I have is somehow sacred 
and can't be changed. The reality is the problem is the hatred to begin with. Whether I spew it out at you or whether I hide it with fluffy words, the problem is the hatred to begin with. And that's what I need to take to God. That's what I need to deal with. That's what I need to ask repentance for. But our lips are either portraying it or they're lying about it. But the heart is what needs to be dealt with. Do you see the difference? You know, I, I, I've known people and they say the most bizarre things and you challenge them on it. Well, that's just the way I am. You know, I just hate such and such a people. You know, people who have red hair, I just hate them. Well, you shouldn't do that. No, I'm just, that's just the way I am. As if somehow that... No. No. It needs to be dealt with. If you wake up and say, I hate, fill in the name of your favorite political party, race, ethnic group, uh, gender, set, whatever, the problem is with you and the problem is problem needs to be taken to Christ and dealt with as the problem. He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. What is slander? Come on, this is easy. Evil talk. Speaking falsehood about other people. Or speaking half of a truth that leads the impression of a falsehood. <laughs> okay, I, so I didn't tell you everything. To slander someone is to take their name, their reputation, and take it down a notch. You know, I just, I just want you to know what kind of person you're really dealing with over there. <coughs> Particularly if it's not true. We can discuss at length, based on last week's lesson, about whether you should even say, if it, it, say it if it is true. Because we talked about love covering up a lot of wrongs. You know, there are things that I may not say about somebody that I love because I don't want to hurt their reputation, even though they might be true. Slander, though, is taking that truth turning it into a half-truth, turning it into an outright lie because my goal, my desire is to push them down. That's what slander is. And if you put it into print, it's called libel. It is a malicious attempt to put other people down. What does it say? Whoever spreads slander is a fool. Why are they a fool? You know, the truth is sometimes it works. <coughs> sometimes I get my way because of it. No. You may win the immediate battle, but ultimately it isn't going to work. I mean, you've, you've, you've seen people like this. People have been talking to you about somebody else, and this thought pops in the back of your head. 
if they're saying this about them to me, what are they saying to them about me? Oh, I'm sure they're only saying righteous things. Hogwash. Those who spread slander get the reputation of spreading slander, and all of a sudden, people don't believe them. In fact, you don't want to be around them. They are practicing foolishness. Once again, the path of wisdom, the path of foolishness. What we have here is another indicator of what's going down the path of foolishness. As a general rule, we need to be very, very careful about what we say about other people. The New Testament says we are to say words that build each other up. But we don't do that. You know, we have a tiff with our spouse, and we go talk to our friend, and we tell them, yeah, my wife's, you know, women, you know. And and I start spreading truths, well, maybe half-truths, maybe my impression of a half-truth, maybe, I mean, you know the path. We just need to be careful. If sharing the words does no good, if it does not build up the other person, don't do it. Just keep your mouth shut. But go ahead. Yes. <laughs> And now there's a TV series based on that premise, and we're not going to go there. Oh, I mean, you know the, you know how it's done, right? You grew up in the church. Here, we need to pray about Mike. Let me tell you what he's been doing on the side. And all of a sudden, down we go. All in the name of now. If I, if Mike has a problem, and I can really help. And I can go to you, and we collectively can really help, then by all means, let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, I've told you this story before, and I just think it's I just think it's perfect. I had gone to a funeral, this was years, years ago, and I got there and my mother was sitting on the row in front of me, and she was talking to another lady in the church. And I'm sitting there listening, half listening to this conversation, and they're talking about people. And I'm going, Great. We're sitting at a funeral, and my mother is talking about people. But then I started listening to the conversation. What they were doing is they were going, oh, that person had a baby. Who's taking the meals to them? Okay, we'll take care of that. They were working through the problems that needed to be dealt with, and they were dealing with them. Who needs to be visited? Who needs some meals? Who needs this? And they were taking care of the problems You know what? That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not sitting around slandering each other in the name of having a prayer meeting. If it doesn't do any good, keep your mouth shut. But by all means, use your language to build one another up. 
We know marriage, married couples. We know all kinds of people who are constantly tearing each other down. Which brings us to the next verse. It's amazing how this all works out. Are you ready for it? When words are many, sin is not absent. Most of us aren't smart enough to talk for very long without getting ourselves in trouble. That's kind of odd. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Does this mean we're not supposed to speak? Of course we're supposed to speak. God gave us tongues to accomplish a purpose. We are to share the gospel. We are to build each other up. We are to work to meet the needs of each other. But so many times, our words are just lips flapping in the wind. We use the God-given organ to accomplish not God's purposes in this world. It's like any other piece of your body. You can use it to bring glory to God, or you can use it to mess up the world around you. Take your pick. That hand can be used to the glory of God, or that hand can be used to insult people, to do immoral things, or whatever. But the scripture tells us that the tongue is one of the most powerful argument, I mean, organs in the body. You know, I can walk up and I can whack you with this hand, and the odds are, 20 minutes later, we could be laughing about it. But I walk up and I lash you with my tongue, you will be thinking about it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because our tongue is very, it's just very strong. And sometimes we forget that. Where words are many, sin is lurking in the corner. Be careful. Be careful what you say. Once again, does it mean we don't talk? No, we've got to talk. Go ahead, Wilton. What does it say? Too much talk leads to sin. It is interesting to me. Have any of you ever met a con artist? I mean, you know, they talk. Because they feel that they, if they keep talking, eventually they're going to wear you down. You know, I had a guy one time, I was, I don't know where I was. He walked up and he needed a part for his car, he claimed. And he started pulling out documentation. You know, here's the, the receipt for the part that I need and here's this and here's that. And I'm sitting there going, the average person doesn't carry all this stuff with him. He's up to something. He has to be up to something. You know, the, the con artists will come up to you and they'll tell you, I need to do this and I do that. And they have this long story all worked out. And you go, the average person... You're trying to hide something with all of these words. You know what I mean? You're trying to confuse the situation. Hmm. Our words are very important. They can spread wisdom or they can spread foolishness. Better to keep your mouth shut and not let people know that you're a fool. Now, the wise... 
the wise have an obligation, an obligation to speak wisdom to the world around them. But that comes at the end of a process of learning wisdom. Discernment says, in this situation, I can speak these truths. In this situation, I should keep my mouth shut because it's not doing any good. I had a discussion with one of my daughters this week. She came up and said, what does this verse mean about casting your pearls before swine? And I explained to you, there's times when it just doesn't do any good. Just stop. Back off. It's not doing any good spreading the gospel. Discernment. Wisdom guides our tongue to reflect that which is in our heart to the world around us. And you know what? The world needs to hear that. Foolishness guides us to use our tongue to utter (gasps) shock, foolishness. And we need to keep our mouth shut. But the fool doesn't have enough wisdom to keep their mouth shut. They just keep spewing the same foolishness on and on. And not only are they leading themselves astray, they are leading those around them astray also. And we are way out of time. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us wisdom. I pray, Lord, that each of us would accept the responsibility to learn your wisdom And then to share that wisdom with the world around us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.